Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hi, my name is Cecilia Handler and I'm speaking to you from Paris. This episode is dedicated to the memory and Leiluinishmat of my sister-in-law, Maskit Bat Yehuda Amos and Leah, who left us this year too early. Before we start, let me tell you why I like the Mishnah and Torah study in general. Well, I simply like to look for the root of things, for the why, the how, and the Mishnah summarizes briefly and beautifully our entire way of life and way of thinking as observant Jews. Let us now start with our Masechet, which is really hard not to fall in love with. Mishnah Para is the fourth tractate in the Mishnah in the order of Torot, purities. The term Tara, the singular of Torot, refers to ritual purity, while its contrary to Ma describes a state of ritual impurity. So what does it mean to be ritually impure? A ritually impure person is unfit to enter in contact with the temple, while a ritually pure person is suitable for such contact. Ritual impurity results from many natural sources, such as giving birth or loss of semen. It is absolutely not sinful to contract these impurities. They arise from unavoidable and even obligatory circumstances. The most severe form of impurity is that derived from contact with a human corpse, although tending to the dead is a mitzvah. The only way to purify a person that had contracted corpse impurity so that she could go to the temple again is stated in a biblical passage in Numbers 19 requiring the ashes of a red cow, in Hebrew para aduma, which is why our tractate para, cow, is so called. This biblical passage is read before Pesach, Passover, during Shabbat para. The reason for this is that an impure person could not participate in the Pesach sacrifice and go to the temple in Jerusalem for the pilgrimage festival without first having been purified with the red cow ashes. So the Torah instructs us to take a red cow without blemish and on which no yoke has been laid and slaughter and burn it outside the camp. The camp was where the Jewish people were living with the tabernacle at the center. Cedar wood, hyssop and a thread of red wool had to be added to the fire and the resulting ashes were mixed with living water, maim chaim, meaning spring water. The impure person whose impurity resulted from contact with the dead was then sprinkled with the mixture to purify the hair. The water with the ashes is called in Hebrew chatat meaning in this case purification. So what do the unique characteristics of this ritual mean? In fact, the mystery begins only now. Those preparing the ashes, the purifying agents, become impure. See Mishnah Para 4.4 and 8.3. So the red cow ashes purifies those who are impure through contact with the dead, yet they render impure all those who prepare the ceremony and who were previously pure. Sefer Achinuk, which is a systematic analysis of the mitzvot in the Torah, states that it is difficult to understand how the process causes impurity while its resultant product confers purity. Note that the ashes are prepared and stay outside the camp 
unlike sacrificial offerings whose service takes place within the precincts of the sacra. The performance of certain acts outside the camp hints at something like ritual impurity that cannot be close to the holiness of the sanctuary itself. These inversions are puzzling and paradoxical. Hazal, our sages, were themselves completely baffled by this topic. The Midrash of Kohelet Rabbah says that Moses was perplexed about the rite. Moses said skeptically about the red cow. Is this a purification? The Midrash of Numbers Rabbah relates that Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai stated to a non-Jew that the holy water of the red cow's ashes can be compared to exorcising a demon from a person. Then he retorted that he was just putting him off, but the impression of his words remains. Rashi states that Satan and the nations of the world deride Israel, saying, What is this commandment and what purpose does it have? The rabbis in Midrash Sifre Dvarim explain the term hukkah, statute, used by the Torah for the law of the red cow, as meaning a divine command about which we cannot fully reason. It must be observed only because God says so. Now, this is quite hard to digest. We cannot help but feel the human distress at the abyss that opens up when meaning is absent and the limits of human reasoning are reached. As I said, I'm a white person. We pray daily that Hashem help us understand his Torah, and then it seems that the rabbis tell us we should accept that some things in the Torah are outside the scope of our understanding. Why would God not want us to understand? So what does Mishnah Parah have to say about this enigma? How do the rabbis engage with something that we are not meant to understand? The tractate describes the entire rite of the Paraduma, but I will only talk about some aspects which demonstrate its particularity. The first chapter of Mishnah Parah discusses the age of a para, cow, and of an egla, heifer or young cow. This is relevant for another ritual, involving the breaking of a heifer's neck required by the Torah in the case of an unsolved murder. In this way, the Mishnah connects these two mysterious rituals that are related to death. The second chapter continues to describe the red cow and in this way it actually continues to deepen the biblical mystery even further rather than solving it. First, it highlights the degree of redness required. The biblical verse requires a perfect red cow in which there is no defect. The rabbis understand the term perfect not to mean, as it usually does, defect-free, since this is already required explicitly in the continuation of the verse, but rather to mean that the cow must be perfectly red, to the point that even two hairs of a different color in one pore invalidate it. A completely red cow is rather difficult to find and makes this ritual even more enigmatic. Second, on the basis of the verse, a cow on which no yoke has been laid, the rabbis state that the paraduma must never have performed any sort of work. So, finding the apt animal becomes an even more difficult job. Third, the rabbis evidence another peculiarity of the red cow, namely its sanctified status. The Torah's use of the term chatat, indicating generally a kind of sacrificial offering for the paraduma, is expanded exegetically to teach that in many cases the red cow's rules are like those of a sacrificial offering. 
On the other hand, however, the red cow's ritual, as mentioned before, is executed outside the temple, unlike all other sacrifices. As such, it is not a temple sacrifice. The ambivalence and enigmatic character of this ritual is again underlined by the rabbis in the Mishnah. The third chapter opens the Para'aduma service itself. It describes the preparation of the priest prior to the burning of the cow, the manner of bringing the spring water and the procedure of bringing and burning the cow. A striking feature outlined in chapter 3 is the extraordinary measures of purity instituted by the rabbis for the Para'aduma service. See also chapter 5, which deals with the stringencies to guard the purity of the vessel containing the ashes or the purifying mixture, chapter 7 about the constant supervision required to protect the spring water from impurity, chapter 8 about the anomalous purity stringency for the mixing, and chapter 10 about the purity stringency connected with the mixture itself. As an example of the very intriguing and exceptional measures to ensure purity applied to the ritual, I'm going to read for you the second Mishnah in chapter 3. It goes as follows. Courtyards were built in Jerusalem over rock, and beneath them there was a hollow, as a protection against a grave in the depths. And they used to bring there pregnant women, and there they gave birth to their children, and there they raised them, and they brought oxen, upon whose backs were placed doors, and the children sat upon them with stone cups in their hands. When they reached the Shiloh spring, they filled the cups with water. All these aspects indicate stringency concerning purity. For instance, stone cannot transmit impurity. But why did the rabbis impose such extreme and particular measures of purity? The following Mishnah stated the Sadducees, a group who rejected the oral Torah and rabbinic tradition and represented a priestly elite, ridiculed the strange measures enacted by the rabbis. The rationale for the rabbinic purity enactments can be probably found in Mishnah 3.7, where another clash between the Sadducees and the rabbis is reported. The Sadducees interpreted that Tatvulio could not perform the para-aduma service, while for the rabbis he could. Atvulio, literally immersed on that day, is a person who has immersed for purification but maintains some impurity until nightfall. This is based on Leviticus 22.7, which says, And the sun will set and he will be pure, which indicates that a person, even though he has immersed in a mikveh, is not completely pure until the sun has set at the end of the purification period. Therefore, at Bullion, cannot enter the temple courtyard or partake of sacrificial offerings. The Sadducees understood the red cow to be a temple sacrifice, while we have seen that for the rabbis, on the basis of the oral Torah, Tzparaduma is clearly not a sacrifice. Remember, its rite is performed outside the temple. For the Sadducees, since the para is a sacrifice, only a completely pure person can perform it. For the rabbis, just like at William could participate in non-sacral purities like Maser Sheni, which is a title offering, see Mishnah Para 11.4 on this, so he could perform the rite of the Para Aduma, even before nightfall. Moreover, the Torah speaks of a Tahor, pure person, and the Sadducees read it literally, while the rabbis did not. Note the exegesis of the rabbis. The Torah, Numbers 19.19, says pure. 
This is, however, too obvious, first because it is superfluously repeated, and second because the red cow is called Hatat. Now, Hatat refers generally to a kind of offering for which purity is required. So, by analogy, we would infer that purity is necessary also for the cow, simply because it is defined with the same term. So, we do not need this mention of a pure person. This pure individual is therefore understood to be not completely pure in all regards, which is why the Torah needs to emphasize that he is pure for the sake of the Paras ceremony. This is why that person may be at Fulion. Another important point related to the fact that the Parah is not a sacrifice is that people, other than priests, even children, may participate in the rite. Mishnah Parah 5.4 states, for example, that any pure person, also non-priest and also a woman, may mix Paraduma ashes with spring water to create the purifying mixture. Now, in order to publicly demonstrate the rejection of the Sadducees' position, the rabbis instituted that specifically at Vulion should perform the red cow service. Indeed, they would intentionally render impure the priest designated to burn the paraduma in great public display, after which the priest would immerse and perform the service before nightfall. This is stated in Mishnah Parah 3.7. This twist was in fact a way to publicly defend the validity of the oral Torah. However, this practice may give the impression that purity laws were not important for the paraduma service at all. Therefore, the rabbis instituted particularly stringent procedures for the preparation of the red cow so as to impress the public with the degree of purity required for it. So, to sum up, we see that the sages chose this right to take a strong position against those who did not accept the oral Torah. This is striking, particularly because this right is not only puzzling, but it was also very infrequently practiced. Indeed, Mishnah 3.5 states that until the destruction of the temple, no more than nine cows were actually prepared. This makes the Paraduma service rare, and nevertheless, its theoretical significance is incredibly relevant for the rabbis. With these examples, I wanted to highlight two characteristics of this tractate. First, we see how the rite of the Paraduma and its meaning are made representative of the Oral Torah, whereby this law seems to touch some central rabbinic interest. Second, we can also see that the rabbis make of the Paraduma an even more mysterious rite. But why? Maybe this has something to do with the fact that that, the impurity of which the Paraduma mixture purifies, is the most mysterious of human experiences which we do not fully grasp, and in front of which we are in fact totally helpless. Or maybe it could be that with the norms whose meaning we understand we incur the risk of forgetting the one who has commanded them, attributing their origin to a working of reason or ethic only. The law of the red cow reminds us that the irrational, the unknowable, what surpasses us is a source for our Jewish practice. Most important, the red cow ritual permits us to feel the Tama mitzvot, literally, tastes of the commandments in the sense of the reason, feel it more fully and to uncover their essential meaning, which is to fulfill God's will, to know that the ultimate, the true why of the commandments is Hashem. According to Rashi, the law of Paraduma was given at Mara, 
That is, before the rest of the Torah was given at the revelation at Mount Sinai and before the tabernacle was constructed. That's just like for us today, when we don't have a temple, this law was given in the first place only for theoretical study, without any practice. In some way, we can look at this as the oral Torah, represented by the Paraduma, preceding the written Torah, which is quite astonishing. Acceptance of the law of Paraduma thus required a leap of emuna, faith, an understanding of God as the ultimate reason, because Hashem commanded so, and a study for its own sake, or Torah Lishma. This had to precede and thus permit the acceptance of the Torah. In this spirit, the Midrash of Numbers Rabbah reports an astonishing story which I'd like to read for you. When Moses went up to heaven, he heard the voice of the Holy One, blessed be he, as he was sitting, studying the section dealing with the red cow, quoting the Alakha in the name of its author. Rabbi Eliezer says that the term Eglah indicates a one-year-old animal and the term para a two-years-old. This quote is the opening of the first Mishnah in Mishnah Para. Allow me to read it for you in Hebrew. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Eglad bat shnata, ufara bat shtaim. So that the Holy One sits and studies Mishnah Para just like us. This Midrash shows the love of Hashem for such an enterprise of Torah study for God's sake. It shows his responsive engagement in such a project, the mutuality which engrosses our Torah. Finally, it highlights the mysterious, fragile, and powerful bridge created by Mishnah Para. Thank you. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK. In collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.